Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe Podcast, where we elevate intellect through conscious dialogue while exploring race, politics, business, and culture. I'm Dr. Daryl L. Jones, and I'm Charles D. Mitchell. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe, DJ. How are you, Charles? Good. It was a good time last night. You know what? It was nice. Yeah, it's yeah nice spot, man. Yeah, cool it's very spot. cool. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, appreciate yeah, you. Enjoy. We got to talk about you ordering these drinks, though, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> hey, look, I like what I like. Sorry. I haven't found one you like yet. Well, that's the problem. I like what it's, I like. Dude, he says 90% of his drinks yeah, is bad. Not. That's not true. It's probably like 60%. I thought it was like it's probably, wedding drinks. Probably is there mezcal involved? It's probably 60%. Initially. Yeah, I told her what I wanted. She's the one who tried to give me to try something different. Man, anyway, I, yeah. um, today we have a really good friend of mine, Gary Lennart, on, who's uh, CEO of West Hawk Capital. Good to see you, Gary. Good to see you guys. Welcome, you, buddy. You have a big day tomorrow. I have a big day tomorrow. You have a big day tomorrow. You have yep. your, uh, your YPO graduation speech. Yeah, so when we uh, turn a certain age, uh, we graduate from this organization, Young Presidents Organization. And part of the tradition is we have to give a speech about whatever it is we want to talk about, about our lives. And so... Um, what does it mean to graduate? It's just you turn 50. Oh, get, is that literally get, get, get out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're not going to be in it. Well, we, go, we, we, we become gold. So we become YPO gold. The okay. thought is at 50, you've, you've, you've had enough sort of experiences and lessons in life that there's something that you probably like to share. And it's sort of like a rite of passage from yeah, you know, okay. the, the, the ranks of, you know, YPO, which is, you know, young presidents to the next level of YPO. So gold. you become a sage, so to speak. Uh, so okay. to speak, perhaps yeah. say, and you you're like giving these, these words. I don't know. We'll have to determine at the end of this uh, discussion. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you know tomorrow. That's how good your editing is. He's got a question. I know he's got a question. Gary, Gary, Gary's thoughtful, and he's you know I'm sure he's very prepared. You know, just my quick read on Gary. It's going to start out one way, and I think Gary's going to take it. Oh, one hundred percent. No, one thousand. It's all about the journey, man. It is one thousand percent. It is. So, Gary, um, you know, excited to have you on and just kind of share a little bit of your journey in life. And obviously, there's some some really special things that you're working on that I think are really important that I think contribute to the community in a big way. Thank you. Um, But give us a little bit of like your personal history growing up. Like I know you grew up in Canada, Winnipeg. Yeah. So I want to get a sense for you. So I'm from I'm from Winnipeg, Canada, which is uh, a little bit north of uh, Fargo, North Dakota. So that's probably Mm. the place that people relate to. Uh, And Winnipeg. Is the coldest city in the world over 500,000 people in the winter? Yeah. So it is cold. So I moved from the cold to the hot. No need to go to Winnipeg. Yeah. Go in the summer and then you can experience the mosquitoes. (laughs) How old were you? We we used to say it's a great place to come from. So, so tell us about that. What was it like living in Winnipeg? And then when did you move to the States? At what age and all that? You know, the interesting thing about Canada is most of the country lives within about 100 miles of the U.S. And the only major city that's not within 100 miles is Edmonton. And so we always used to have the American TV stations. We would get the Fargo stations and then we got the Detroit stations. So you're, you're very much aware that you're like the little brother. And there's this big brother country just to the south of us. And, you know, we used to watch NFL games and um, things like that. So uh, I always had an eye on the U.S. And when my folks, we moved down here when I was uh, 13 years old. 
And I have, it's funny, I have most of the, my friends that I grew up with are either scattered throughout the U.S. or they're in Toronto. So everyone, Toronto is like New York and L.A. combined for Canada. Uh, It's the entertainment capital. It's the business capital. It's one of the great uh, cities in the world. And it's the number one immigration city in the world right now. Um, So, um, you know, Canada's... I think come into its own a lot uh, since I've left. But when I left, going to the U.S. was what I wanted to, what my family and I wanted to do. And my brother and my sister also live in the U.S. Now they live in New York, so we're we're Americans. So if I'm if I understand correctly, you're the youngest of three. Correct? Yes. Okay. And uh, you've you've grown up sort of like in the shadows of your older siblings, and uh, certainly have have very successful father. Um, tell us about what that what that was like growing up. Well, so my brother is almost 10 years older than I am. And so he was almost like a mini father in some ways. A lot of the things that uh, a father would uh, teach you, my brother taught me. My brother taught me how to ride a bike. He taught me how to throw a ball. My father is a great father and I'm very close with him, but I almost had like a half father as well. And um, he was a great student. And he went away. He, He was in Canada for his first in our home town university for the first couple of years. And then he went to um, Wharton undergraduate business school and went to wall street right after that. And in his mid twenties, he was at one of the pioneering private equity firms and he made it big in his mid twenties. So here I was this 15 year old and my big brother was kind of like everything. And um, my father was also successful as I mentioned. So a lot of my youth or as I kind of came into my teens, and to some degree, I was almost like a, an only child as well. My sister's six and a half years older than me. My brother's nine and a half years older than me. And we moved to the States. My brother was already here, and I moved with my parents. So all my time in Phoenix in high school, uh, was I was basically like an only child. But I, I mean, I had siblings, but they weren't at home. And so I think when you have successful people older than you in your family, charting your own course and doing things a little bit idiosyncratic is kind of what you do, unless you're a follower. And I'm not really a follower, but I'm not necessarily a natural leader either. So I was kind of on, I've always been kind of on my own, on my own journey, finding my own way. And that's why I've done some of these random things like stand up comedy or living in Japan and studying Japanese. And I've just kind of wandered along this journey, not necessarily with a specific destination in mind, but just sort of these life experiences to find out who I am. Were you an I athlete? was in the shadow of these other people. Were you an athlete growing up? Uh, I'm, I'm an okay athlete. I'm good. I'm really good at some things, but I'm not like an overall general great He's athlete. He's a really good tennis player. I play tennis, ping, I'm good at racket sports. And um, I was very fast, but I was like small and thin. Um, I was good at like forward movement. I wasn't okay. necessarily like the, you know, the guys who can duke around people with great lateral movement. I was more of a like straight ahead speed. Okay. Um, so I'm a, I'm a good athlete, but not, not sort of like a star in any stretch of the imagination. Okay. You know, it's interesting, you know, I've known Gary for, for a number of years now. We've been in, informed together as one of our experiences, but you know, Gary's the type that, you know, he, he gets, he gets involved in something. He decides that he's interested in a certain subject or an area, and then he like jumps right in, like dives in. Um, stand-up comedy man, one of those things, obviously. You born in September? November. 
You have Virgo qualities. Really? Yeah, you do. I have vertigo sometimes, too. <laughs> I'm a little off well, balance. Hopefully you don't suffer from that during this podcast. I, I was at the gym once. I got vertigo. I literally fell off a stationary bike. It's the weirdest thing. Oh, no way. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I think well, Craig would have vertigo. I just yeah. talked to him. He does not feeling great. It's too bad. <laughs> Okay. So you had no dreams of being in the Canadian Football League. You weren't that. Well, I had dreams of being a football. Like every kid who plays any kind of sport has some sort of dream. You want to play for the Blue Bombers? Yeah, I mean, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers? Yeah. yeah. Rough Riders. Uh, Ottawa Rough Riders. We had two, we had nine teams in the league and we had two teams that were the Rough Riders at one point. Is that right? Yeah. That's Canadian creativity at its greatest. (laughs) Oh my God. I didn't know that. Yeah. I did. Saskatchewan and the Ottawa Rough Riders. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, now I think Ottawa changed that. their name. But anyway, that's what a little Canadian hit, Canadian uh, facts follow. here for the folks. That's yeah. when you actually watched Canadian football. Remember that? Oh, I used to watch I it. Anytime there's an yeah, NFL that's strike, that's they're like, listen, we're going to make you watch Canadian football until you guys resolve this thing. Well, it seemed like the field was 30 yards long. It's, no, it's longer <laughs> and wider. <laughs> it's longer it's bigger. Yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah. Doug Flutie did well yeah, down there. You could never run out of ground there. Warren Moon, right? Warren Moon. He was the guy when I was a kid. Yeah. And I, one of the great, not tragedies, but un, it, that guy's NFL stats would be so much better if they gave him a chance from the get-go. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, he had absolutely. four or five just, like, mind-blowing years absolutely. In, in the CFL. He was, well, a, he was a man among boys. That's another whole conversation. Yeah. So this comedy thing. So you yeah. stand-up comedy, uh, is that still a part of your life? It comes and goes. It's like a, it's like a rash. Um, okay. One way to put <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a lifelong fan and kind of student. And, um, I would go to, over the years, I'd go to comedy clubs and, you know, one out of 10 times, someone would blow my mind and I'd be like, wow, what an art, what a performer, what a genius. And then a few times I'd be like, yeah, that guy's pretty good. Or guy was pretty good. And then the rest, I'm like, I think I could be better than these people. And I, I ran into a friend from, high school who lives in Boston and, and he's a successful money manager and he was doing stand-up comedy on the side. And I had already started sending myself like emails with jokes and ideas. And he's like, life's short, man. You just got to go do it. And so I put like an open mic night on the schedule. Like you have to sign up and um, down, just up here in Scottsdale, uh, down the street from here. And it was like five months uh, in advance. And I'm like, all right, now I got a, I got a deadline. I got to work on it. And so I just prepared and worked on it. And Man, I think that's awesome. It's just so brave. I swear I've thought about it. You, you, really? Absolutely. I thought I about it. I can see you doing that. I, I'd have to be at a point, which is probably where I am now, where I just don't give a fuck anymore. Well, you don't do that anymore. I know, which is why I could yeah, probably you can do, you can <laughs> do, totally do that. I do. Top five, top five comedian or comedians. Well, they, different ones in different categories. I think the most natural performer... Uh, is uh, Dave Chappelle the guy? He could okay. he, he could make a menu funny. Um, the hardest I've ever laughed. Uh, a guy named Patrice O'Neill uh, passed away. I think eight or nine years ago. Yep. Saw him at a club in uh, in New York, and people were literally like falling Not off their chairs. Underrated comedian of all time. Patrice yeah, he's a comedian's comedian. Yeah. He actually and Bill Burr. He and Bill Burr came up together in Boston, and he kind of taught Bill Burr to get rid of the notes. And Patrice O'Neill never wrote a joke down. It was all organically. He just worked it out up on the stage. Yeah. He was a, just a he was a natural gunslinger in terms of of comedy, and his his peaks were were real high. Uh, Eddie Murphy, 
Um, I think Eddie Murphy Delirious, it's a little bit dated in terms of some of the content of the jokes. It's really funny. But I got to tell you, one of the things you learn when you're doing stand-up is if you don't make people laugh like every 10 seconds, you lose half the audience. So if you go 30, 40 seconds without making people laugh, there's nobody left. And that, so I found like I could deliver a bit that was about a minute and a half long and then I needed to reboot and start a new bit because there weren't a lot of people left unless I crushed it. That barbecue in Eddie Murphy Delirious yes. with Aunt Bunny and stuff, that thing's yes. 12 minutes long. Yeah. And the whole thing, it's like the, yes. to me, it's the high point Genius. of comedy. And he was 21 years old. I don't understand how that guy. is genius work. Yeah, it was unbelievable. That's so, so that's four. Okay. Um, you got to put Richard in there. Man. Uh, he's you, not my guy. Do you I, like I Richard Pryor? No, that's not the I, question, I, now Charles. I've, I've heard everyone talk about people who are like None 10, of these guys five. would be here without him. That doesn't mean he's the that best. Mean he's in his None top of these five. guys would be there. Yeah. None of them would be Red Fox then. Red Fox was funny. He was dirty. He's dirty too. I, I, got, I think of it I mean, in terms of like who made me think or laugh or both the hardest. Right. Um, Richard Pryor didn't make you laugh. Nah, yeah, I mean, I thought he was I, good you know and I get it. Like, I appreciate I'm his game. I'm kind of the same. But he just did not take me over the top. Oh, my God. He yeah. didn't. I, wow. I think look, he, didn't. He, he had a rough, this guy that I'm going to mention had, had kind of a, he got, he got uh, me too'd pretty hard. He blew it. Is Louis C.K.? Oh yeah, he's a course. great comedian. He, he, he me tooed himself. He, he me tooed himself. You can't pull your yeah. no, no, no. weenus out yeah, in front that, of people. That you can't and, do. No, he, uh, he, he name is Wiener. <laughs> <laughs> Did you you know Dave Chappelle's joke about it? He's like, I had a friend die from a masturbation accident. <laughs> yeah, Lewis. I think he he kind of he kind of asked for something to do. I'm not, not going to get into that, but uh, yeah. I feel, you know, I feel bad for everyone involved. But so he, he, was, a, he was a talented, very his range of material, which I I, I think it's a lot like uh, Olympic diving. There's how cleanly did you nail the dive, yeah. and then there's what was the difficult degree of difficulty sure. of the dive. Sure. And I found my limit with certain jokes. Like I had a I had a bit. They just, I, I couldn't, I just was sounded like a jerk and I couldn't deliver it. And someone like Bill Burr can make the most difficult material and land it. He can land the dive. And I had this whole bit about how I would be an organ donor, but like not while I'm alive. Cause I'm a good guy. I'm not a great guy. And if I, if I gave an organ to someone while I was alive, I want like a 30 day call option in case anyone in my family needs it. And I just couldn't deliver it without sounding like a jerk. And I'm like, I wonder what Bill Burr would do with this or Patrice O'Neill or something like that. <laughs> I think I, th- I call that Louis CK is kind of like neurotic comedy to me. I call yeah. Robin Williams. I put them in that category. Well, that was right? more Coke induced. I'm trying to be kind. <laughs> <right>? Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of stories about Robin Williams that are re- really interesting. So five quickly, your five comedians. Yeah. No, I take his top four plus Richard Pryor and take out Louis CK. Louis CK. So he is number five for you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a bunch of people that that I like that are honorable mentions, but that would probably be uh, my my top five. I think Bill Burr, Louis C.K., uh, Eddie Murphy, Patrice O'Neill, Dave Chappelle. Stand up. Yeah, stand up. Uh, not not like comedic. Chris Rock's pretty strong. I mean, he's Chris, really strong in, in, in like in a, in, a, in film. 
Oh, Chris Rock's it, funny in stand-up. Oh, he's great in stand-up. I think no, he's I'm better. I'm not saying in, he's not funny in stand-up, but I'm saying he's amazing in film. I think he's really. Yeah, funny. I almost say the other way around with him. Yeah, I would say the like, other way Pootie around. Pootie Tang is in your top no, I, I, three I'm, movies. I'm with no, you. Not Tang. No, I think no, no. Murphy was good in both. I think of him yeah. in like uh, head of state. No, I'm gonna get you, sucker. Oh, the, he had the, one the, scene the, in that yeah, movie. Come on, dude. That was one funny. Rip. The, the, that was one scene. That was a funny was scene. Casey had a bigger part. That was a that. funny scene. He, he, you remember <laughs> him. Told me that, I mean, that's the only thing you remember from that movie. Jim Brown was him. funnier and had a bigger role in that so movie. So was Vargas. I mean, we keep going. My point is the man can take a scene and make it really, really funny. Yeah, you went back 30 yeah. years to make I that funny. All right, look. Who is yours? Patrice O'Neill. Yeah. Dave Chappelle. All right, we're there together. Um, you know, Eddie I, got, the list? I got it. No, wow. and let me put Richard Pryor in perspective. One of the Godfathers right. of comedy, for sure. But mm-hmm. for me, yeah, that's not my go-to. I'm not pulling out Richard Pryor I when, I, when I'm yeah. looking for comedy. I'm just not. I think the world wouldn't be the same without him. He's not first in my closet, right? So, um, Bill Burr, I think, is incredibly funny right now. I'm going Cat Williams. And then five, I'm going to throw Stephen Wright in there. I think he's one of the most clever dudes. Yeah, he was funny. The thing about Cat Williams, if you really pay attention to him, he literally doesn't give a damn. And I think you have to have, I don't know of one comedian that doesn't have a high level of emotional intelligence. Oh, yeah. I can't think of one. A great comedian that doesn't have a high level of emotional intelligence and uh, irreverence. Cat's and Cat. You know, who, really you know who was the zone guy in stand up and he was selling out let, like let me stadiums? Guess. A zone guy. Uh, 70s. Not, to, not total to do game from changer. Taxi. No, 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 no. Andy Kaufman? Yeah. Not my guy. He, you, you, he, he, it was funny to him. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing. <laughs> he was, an inside he was, not, he was not funny to me. So Steve, Steve Martin was selling out like stadiums. He was a phenomenon. Now you watch it now and you sort of giggle and it's funny. Yeah. But it was, he broke the mold. Like there's no one in, there's no one else in that kind of category. He, he had his own category. Yeah, he's a little, oh, you know who else was funny? I forgot. Um, oh my gosh. With the long hair, he died in a car accident. Uh, oh my God. It'll come to me. He's, he's he's screamer. Me he was the screamer. That guy. Yeah, I'm sure oh you know my who God. that is. That, no, that's um. Come on. Oh my gosh, uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his heavy, name. Heavy set guy. Yeah. Come on, man. He he was uh. He was in the Ronnie Dangerfield movie. He was movie. starting talking really low, and then the next thing you know, he's screaming. Belushi? No, 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 no man. He was about. a skit sketch guy. Oh my gosh, it'll come to us. Let's talk about something else, uh, and it'll pop to me. Sa- uh, Sam Kinison. There you go. Yeah. That guy. You don't know who Sam Kinison? Oh no, fuck no. Oh my no, God. No. Oh, his. I want it. I want it. You do, yeah, that, you do that really well. Nah, it was all right. that... <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm not a reincarnation of the man, but I mean, you know. keep working you on really it. Don't know sure. who that is? Uh, I'll send you some clips. Yeah. Well, he's not. I don't yeah. know what this guy does, but cool, man. So, where are you going? I, I, I'm kind of intrigued by this comedy. I know there's a lot to talk about when it comes to you. Jerry's good. You should see no, he's a funny YouTube. dude. He's good. But here's the deal. So I surprise people because I look like like a like walk down the middle of the fairway no, kind of. Yeah, I was funny. Fun, to me. He would, I was sitting, <laughs> oh, 
there you go. And you look like you could be funny to <laughs> We would sit in form and he would say something. No, he's a funny guy. He's a witty guy laughing. I might be the only person in the room with that. But he's got this irreverence, too, about Correct. him. Yeah, like, I would, look, if you're looking for an agent. <laughs> I'm there, man. I, I think you got some. I think you should keep pushing. No, no, no. Plus, here's the deal. Let's just be real about this. When you achieve a certain level of financial independence, why wouldn't you? Like, why wouldn't you? Who can? What's the worst that can happen? I think I was funniest when I was working through shit and I wasn't getting my financial. In- yeah, we all have tough times. I don't know, man. <laughs> Look, I, the fact that so you did stand up. I did. How did you grade yourself? So, um, I, what I learned, I, I learned more from the, I had never performed anything as a kid. I wasn't right. in any plays. I wasn't uh, in any music or I don't have any natural talents. It's all about the stuff that's spinning in my head. And, um, so there's the writing and then there's the performing. And then there's sort of the intersection of the two where you're continuously refining what you've written to mold it to the marble, you know, the sculpture from the marble uh, into something special. I enjoyed the writing and a lot. And then the performing was a revelation, but not something that once I got the monkey off my, or the, I got the, the sort of, I got it off my chest. I was sort of done with it. Like I didn't need to get up there and do it a lot. And in order to get really, really good, like these comedians, if they go 10 days without performing, they're rusty on their standard. So to me, once I told a joke that worked like three times, I felt like I was cheating. Really? Yeah. Like it wasn't to continue to do it and continue to squeeze out laughs. I felt like I was losing my authenticity. So I realized that I kind of liked the creation of the joke and, and an initial response. But someone who could continue to kind of stay in the ring almost or like a, like a professional athlete and just work on like we were talking about golf before. We got on the air here. Like just the, the, the minor refinements of perfection that are required. You're a creator. Yeah. That that wasn't as fulfilling to me as the creation of something that could be funny. And by the way, you can say monkey. Monkey off my back? Yeah. You, 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 no, I, you know what? Sometimes. No, 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 no. It's like. I, I, I have, I have, no, no. Hold on. I was like. Okay. It's not a. No, no, no. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's I'm not here. what it was. Oh, okay. I'm very, I'm, very, I'm very sensitive. Okay. I'm very sensitive to mixed metaphors. And one time okay. in my. When I used to be in a group. Oh, okay. I, I, I was once in a meeting and someone um, said, uh, it's the. 50,000 pound gorilla in the room. And I'm like, what's the 50,000 foot level? I'm going to tell you a story. It's the 800 pound gorilla and it's, it's the, it's the elephant in the room. But the guy just mixed them all. So I just thought that I was like, wait, it wasn't really a monkey off my back that I was talking about. That's not really, I just had an itch that I had to scratch. You looked at Charles, so I thought, no, no, okay. No, give me a break. Okay. No, we need to, we need to, we need to restart this whole thing. That's a bunch. (laughs) You know what, man? This is all in the room. All right, golf. No, it's my sensitivity for mixed metaphors. Oh, okay. Okay. I knew you would go there. Well, he's he's a thoughtful man, so I just want to make it myself. No, no, I'm all shit. Here's why I say You know what? I don't even know if I really want to go there. The company Survey Monkey. Okay. They're considering changing the name appropriate. Are you kidding me? I'm like, monkey is an animal. Okay. It's okay. 
Yeah. Wouldn't even cross, start wouldn't even white even, people on the yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Didn't, exactly. even, didn't even cross my mind. Yeah, so that's why, yeah, I know it didn't with you. So, um, <laughs> you're a funny dude. <laughs> you are a funny dude. I really, you really are. Golf. Yes. How would you describe the sport to somebody? It is a... So, I, as Charles mentioned, I'm a, I'm a racket sports guy. And what I like about racket sports is I just have to figure out the other dude. And how do I get in his head? Got and it. how do I, like, That's find his weaknesses and, and play to them? Got it. And, and force him to not play to mine. Golf is about personal mastery, well, you got and the ball's not moving. So the only thing that's moving is your head and your body and work, making those two things work together. And so, so I was going to say, put, you could focus on anything other than that little white ball. Yeah. And, and then doing the same coming. stroke, every tee, you, you know, every exactly. par four, par five, you're pulling out that driver and you just did it five minutes ago and repeating that thing. And it's just, it's just a, it's a very, very all encompassing personal mastery challenge. And you're playing against yourself. Yeah. I mean, you're playing against yourself. That's exactly right. Yeah. I think it's a tough one. They'll make it crazy. I know a lot of people, I probably know more people who've quit golf than play it. <laughs> you can count me in How long have you been playing? Well, so I played, uh, I actually, the person who taught me, who took me golfing for the first time, I had an uncle in Canada who was blind. And um, he had a certain form of, um, it was like albino. And so that ties to your eyes somehow. He had like, and and okay. he was blind, but he didn't let it get in his way. So when I was in seventh grade, he and I started to become very close. And uh, he took me golfing. We would go golfing. And he would kind of feel where the ball was. And that was sort of the first time I did it. And I never really, really played seriously. I played a little bit. I went to a small high school, so it was easy to just get on the team. I played a little bit in high school. But I've never been much better than a bogey golfer at best. Okay. But I'd like to – I think I could get better. Um, but I'm sort of on that – Never-ending wheel of trying to get the three better. of us should play sometime. Absolutely, two. Yeah. yeah. Why'd you go at least two? No, what, what no, I, I love for the three what of us that? to play. <laughs> no, you quickly changed that. You quickly no, went I'm from saying, man, the three I'm, of I'm us trying to get you to like blank two. Like you, you like purposely. I would love for the three of us to play. Um, Let's make it happen. We have to seriously make that happen for sure. Yeah, absolutely for sure. Oh, I got a foursome. I just bought a foursome. We did the sponsorship for um, Section Seven is having a. Uh, it's a elite high school basketball tournament in June, and what comes with it is a a foursome. When you buy a sponsorship, it's a Where? foursome with uh, there's a Hall of Fame golf tournament with like each pairing, each group is going to be paired with a hall a basketball Hall of Fame. Oh, nice. Yeah. Where is it? Uh, I think it's going to be out of Wigwam. Oh, cool. West. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's nice. nice. I think it's going to be in September. Nice. I'm in. We can golf before yeah. that too, though. We can do that. Too, sure. I like. I call it like the summer golfing here. It's like it's like uh, Bikram golf. It's like super hot. <laughs> it is. That's cool. what it actually is. I, I could drink. I could play around the golf at like four p.m. It's one hundred and nine. Play eighteen holes in like two and a half hours. Drink like twenty bottles of water and not pee once. It's just a total evaporation yeah, situation. Well, when you grew up in Canada, yeah. so I would imagine the heat. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't bother you, but. You can keep it all in perspective. The heat stuff. I can handle the cold. Oh, okay. so I can I can handle the cold. It's really? it's not. Yeah, the heat gets to me 
um, you don't have to deal with the humidity here. But the thing people it, it, in Phoenix, it's not just the heat; it's the sun. Like if you're in the shade, yeah, it's fine. But I've definitely had some like dehydration events after tennis, and I've sort of found that in my 30s, 105 was my limit. In my 40s, 95 was my limit, and now I'm in my 50s. It's probably like I'm not playing when it's hotter than 90 outside. Really? Yeah. It's like it's not. You better hurry up. Good. You better hurry up and get this no, done. I get up at five in the morning or something like that. But it's, yeah, it's tough. No thanks. Yeah. So let's talk about your business. Um, sure. You've been in commercial real estate for a while. How did you get in the industry? And then what's like some of the significant work? I know, um, co-founded by West. Yep. Um, and so, just talk to us about that. So I kind of grew up in the business. My father was in the industry, um, and I was very interested. Uh, in things that re- naturally in things that related to real estate. Uh, I'm a, I was a big sort of geography person. I knew most of the countries of the world and the capital cities and the populations. Wow. And I love to know about what city had the tallest buildings and the largest hotels. So I kind of liked things related to what my father was doing anyway. But as I mentioned, I had a lot of people in front of me in my family. And it was important for me to kind of chart my own course uh, early in my career. So for the first, you know, for the 14 years after college or after, after high school, I was not doing things related to real estate. And then I was kind of drawn back to it once I was sort of in my early thirties and had tried some different things. And um, so I came back here to Phoenix. I'd lived uh, I lived overseas in Japan. I studied Japanese. I worked there for a few years after college. I went to grad school on the East Coast. Still and speak fluently? I don't speak fluently, but if I if I I passed the highest level fluency test, but Japanese is a much more complicated language than English. English seems to be a very forgiving language where you know if you know three or four thousand words, you can kind of get by, and that's why so many people. That's one of the reasons why so many people around the world they call it globish just like English with the, these sort of 3,000 words. It doesn't work like that in Japanese. And I passed the highest fluency test, and I still didn't understand the news. And, wow. and it was just because there's just an endless amount of vocabulary, and it's so specific. And um, so I could have actually, I was qualified to go to college by the end of my work experience. I passed the test while I was working. I, it's like the TOEFL, but for Japanese. And... Um, I could have actually gone to college with Japanese people and I would have flunked like it would, I would have been, I would have been way over my head, but that was kind of a, a milestone for me. So I came back, uh, worked in New York for a while, worked in Texas for a while, moved back here in Oath two. I was kind of doing deals on my own for a while, but I wasn't ready really to be on my own. And so I found a partner who was more of a bricks and sticks kind of guy. Um, and uh, we we founded this company, ViOS Group, in '03, and we were together for 16 and a half years uh, until last March, so a little over a year ago. And um, I got bought out of the business, and that kind of I'm ready to kind of focus more exclusively on on what makes me tick, and 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 what I've come to learn is the the process of of building a real estate company is. Uh, more my wheelhouse than sort of a series of specific transactions or deals. And so my company, Westhawk, is actually named after a lake in my home province of Manitoba. And we used to joke, like Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes. 
uh, we used to joke, we're the province of 100,000 lakes. Mm-hmm. And it's all sort of former glaciers that had melted, and they're sh- most, for the most part shallow lakes. But West Hawk Lake is different. It's about 100 miles from Winnipeg. And it's, it was formed by, it's called an impact crater lake. It was formed by a meteorite crashing Earth like tens of millions of years ago. And it's only 2.8 miles across, but it's the deepest lake in the entire province. And so the concept is you don't really understand the story until you look below the surface. Mm-hmm. And you don't understand the depths of the things until you look below the surface. And that's sort of the genesis of the name. And I've set myself up as, and, and what I've come to learn is my passions and interests are, are mentorship and like educational access, which is an area that Charles and I are, are, are on the same page. And so my personal, when you kind of, as you mentioned before, you achieve certain things and some certain freedoms through some financial success that you have, and you can redesign things a little more specifically. Um, and so I've kind of redesigned my personal and professional lives to be focused on, on those two things, mentorship and, and educational access. And so my company is I team up with young up-and-coming real estate entrepreneurs and accelerate their entrepreneurial success by partnering with them and sort of sharing my experiences and understanding of how to build a company and so on. And I hope to have a handful of these companies all with different strategies and different partners. So what, what inspires you? And I ask this question because you are obviously a very uh, intellectually curious probably always been that way and um anyone with a map collection in eighth grade yeah right studying the capacities of arenas and stadiums and hotel rooms and right rivers yeah a little curious so then you know when you start to think about your circles of friends etc one of the questions i have is how do you not get bored of people because you're so curious and your thinking is obviously almost at a different level sometimes, right? How do you stay at a point where you're still inspired by people? So I think that um, you know, my wife has probably had a good influence on me on this because okay. um, she's more of a, of a pleaser in terms of personality and, yeah. and, and making sure that you're warm and, and so on. And I think that... Um, with age comes wisdom and, and, and curiosity is not wisdom and knowledge is not wisdom and knowing facts is not wisdom. And I think that what you learn is everyone's got something to contribute to the puzzle. And, um, it's kind of, I don't know if you saw Ted Lasso, this show, you know, that be curious, not judgmental. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that not to confirm, I mean, I, I think I remain curious, but curious in trying to, f- you know, make sure I'm curious about people yeah. and what they have to contribute and not judgmental uh, about awesome. it and stay open-minded. I, I, I like to, th- I try to push myself to be sort of like radically open-minded that someone just got a different perspective than yeah. me. And we may end the conversation with a different perspective, but I should try to understand where they're coming from. You, you told me a great story the other day about that openness, like being open to other people, other perspectives. And you were sharing a story with me about uh, a plane ride. Um, do you mind sharing that story? Oh, my gosh. 
that's a that was a a, a touchy one. <laughs> I was on uh, a plane with a um, really interesting uh, African American woman who was wearing a Michigan shirt and a pan hat, and we were sitting next to each other. And we just, I, I, I've sort of gone from being the guy who wouldn't talk to someone next to a plane to someone like, you know, if I got work to do, I'm doing the work. But if I'm not, I'm like, you know, what does this person have to say? She was, she was, we had, I went to uh, University of Pennsylvania for graduate mm-hmm. school. So we had some commonality and it turns out she was running for, she was like a community organizer in Chicago and she was running for an alderman position. And, um, I'm very inquisitive and, um, I asked the question that was like a third rail question that I didn't know before that, that that was a third rail question. And I'm now open to the fact that, oh, I can, to me, it's all about lenses. You were talking about comedy before. It's like looking at things through a particular lens and we're all subject to our own experiences. And unless we put ourselves out there to experience new things and seek other people's perspectives, we're sort of limited to our own perspective. We can't always be faulted for, you know, being open-minded and willing to learn, but I'm still coming at it from the sum of the parts up to this point. Mm-hmm. And I, I, she, she grew up on the South side across from a famously poverty stricken housing project in Chicago, the Robert mm-hmm. Taylor homes. And yeah. I asked her, she, she had all this amazing educational experience. I said, did you have a scholarship? And that was the third rail. And, oh, um, yeah. I, I didn't realize it. And then, um, you know, I, w- I was listening and, and I said, look, and she made a comment. She's like, I'm not here for your educational purposes. I'm my own person and I'm living my own journey and I'm not here to enlighten you. And I said, you're a community organizer. So, I, I mean, I'm not trying to get in a, a fight, but I'm having an intellectual discussion. I said, you're a community organizer and I'm an open-minded person that wants to be a, you know, contributing citizen and, and, and work for the common good. And, and if not you, who, right? If we're at this gap between where we are and where we want to be, and I'm open, but I need someone to show me the way. It's not going to be like my 10 white friends who are going to show me the way. If, if not you, who, what made you ask her that question? Well, she's putting herself out there as a leader in in the public domain. And so there was some silence. And the woman in the third seat was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Seats B and C. <laughs> so, you, so you haven't asked my question yet, though. What was the genesis? I'm trying to understand now. Yeah. Of you asking her about, was, the, yeah, about the scholarship, the scholarship. Yeah. what was it that made you ask that question? Ask that question? <laughs> well, that's a good question, and I th- I thought about that a lot afterwards because I don't I don't want to piss people off, and I don't want to I'm, I'm I I was just sort of like how would you go from A to Z? Yeah, sort of thing? Like you grew yeah. up in like a were, ver- you, were you doing the math? I mean, Robert Taylor Holmes and you know, that's yeah, a really tough area and. She's Michigan going, she's getting quarter million dollar education and then a $200,000. Right. Like, how do you do that? Right. Did you have a scholarship? I, I didn't realize that, that, what, that would trip so a lot. In retrospect, I'm asking, in retrospect, would you ask the same question the same way? Uh, you know, I think that 
I wouldn't ask the same question the same way at the same time, right? So I think that for me, I ask that, and I ask questions sometimes ahead of when I should ask them. And I might ask them before sometimes even people have answered the last question and it can, that can be annoying. Um, but I, I think that her, her point of like asking that question that early in my, for lack of a better term, relationship with this person, I think she was right. Right. Like we weren't there yet. And she's like, I'm not here for your education. And I was asking that question as a curious person. And I was asking a person who was generally trying to learn, but her role in seat B is not to educate me. And for me to ask that question that early in our relationship probably was like, dude, and if a friend was sitting, if he was sitting next to me, he would have been like, like, wait, man. Did you, did you, you know, the curious part is, and, and look, there's no judgment in this at all. I kind of get the, the, the whole point, but when you reflected back, did you, did you get what may have like upset her in that yeah. conversation? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think I got it quickly quickly and i wasn't disagreeing with her right but if we can't make mistakes and someone say hey you know what with empathy and understanding and and you know if you're married you understand the importance of training yourself at however hard it is to give your partner the benefit of the doubt when when you get upset by something and and we all deal with that all the time is like what my question to her would be, if I'm coming from a, and I didn't ask it in this way, because you know, I was trying to put out a fire, um, <laughs> is if you were to give me the benefit of the doubt and were to say this guy's coming from maybe not a perfectly informed place, but with a good heart, what would I do to him? And, and you would say, listen, that's sort of an uncomfortable question. I don't know you that well. What, like, what's your angle here? What do you, what do you, what do you want to learn? I'm not here for your education, but what, what, it, where are you going with that? And then I'd be like, yeah, you know, it's not really any of my business if she had a scholarship and I'm not at the point of my relationship with this person, or it may never even be relevant to how our relationship could develop. Why do I need to say that? Would I have said that to, <clears throat> Uh, a white guy who grew up in a poor neighborhood. And I think that's when sort of well-meaning, and I'm going to put myself in the well-meaning category, not perfectly informed white people, you sort of, again, you look at it through the other person's lens and you're like, oh, wow, yeah, I could, I could see that perspective. I wouldn't have... I wasn't coming from there, so I, I, I wouldn't know to think of it that it way. It potentially like once, has a lot of insinuations. Yeah. One could be you couldn't afford. Two could be um, without the scholarship, you wouldn't be there. Three could be um, I'm not your informer, and as a 49, 50-year-old white man, you should know better at this point. 
So those are probably some of the things that she's. It was like six years ago. But it also. (laughs) 45. 45. It also takes some things off the table, right? Like maybe I had. Two very work, hardworking parents who, you know, found a way to make this happen. Yes, yeah. right. So it takes some of those things off. The table. Yeah, but she also said was like, just because I chose to live in that neighborhood doesn't mean that I'm poor as well. That's another. That was sort of her. Take. I'm not saying she was saying right. that, yeah. that that was the actual That's fact, but she, that was sort of you asked those series yeah. of things. Yeah. That was her. Sort of. There's hey. really not a good insinuation that comes out of that. I think I think that's the tough part, right? Right. And I I think Unless, that the wake up call for mm-hmm. me was just not knowing or thinking about that that would be a third rail. And now I know, and 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 not just that thing, but like, hey, when you ask these questions that imply things yeah. that fit some sort of narrative that's you're coming to the table with to begin with, like drop it, let it go. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for having a productive conversation with this person that you need to put them in some kind of box of their background or whatever. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I think it's an interesting, I think the audience. Thank you for putting me on the spot there, Charles. I hope, <laughs> well, gonna, I, I hope your gonna, listenership look, doesn't go to like I'm 5 gonna, million people. I, I'm going to, um, I'm going to, but I'm going to follow that up though and take it in a different direction, similar vein, but you know, you and I were talking the other day, and you said something I thought was really interesting um, that I really appreciated uh, was around the thought of, look, you know, we all know that there's this big chasm right now that we're all trying to figure out how to bridge. And that as we try to move in a real positive direction, that we certainly need allies, right? You know, particularly black community, certainly these allies around how do we make, you know, the situations and scenarios that we all encom- we're, we're, we're encountering these days, you know, a more positive outcome. And, and you talked about being less about talk and more about action. And uh, I thought that was really cool to hear. And then also to know that you're doing some really cool things relative to, you know, creating internships in real estate uh, for, for under underserved communities, right. That, you know, predominantly look like black, black and Brown young people. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, I think the events of the past year or so, um, I mean, it's not like there were the events of the past year were any different than the events of the years before. But I think, right. I think that it was so flagrant and so out there for people to see that you had to do some soul searching about like, you know, it's one thing to say I'm supportive and I'm an advocate, but it's like, what are you doing? And, um, so I, I, I reflected on that a lot and, um, I just through some sort of industry, uh, I was looking at a few different areas and, and had sort of my ears and eyes open and, and through an industry zoom that I was on as we were all doing zooms through uh, COVID, I heard of this gentleman, um, in Washington, D.C., his name's Cedric Bobo, and he uh, formed a company called, or an organization uh, called Project Destined, which is basically, I think he's kind of cracked the code, um, and it's creating these, his, 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 and he comes from a, a family that has owned land in the South for like a hundred years, which is, a, you know, not that common for um, African American families, and like, I think they had like real, Land holdings, but he understood through his multi generational real estate ownership 
what that did for him and his family. And he's gone to Harvard Business School and he worked at one of the top private equity firms and one of the more impressive guys um, I, I, I've ever come across. I haven't actually met him in person yet. And um, I heard about this and I just reached out to him and I said, how can I help you get launched uh, in Phoenix? And basically his program is they find, they get students and they get people from the industry, advocates, um, leaders in the industry and mentors and so on. And they have these 10-week sort of internships where they give them real-life deal deals to what it's called underwriting, where you're valuing a deal and you're figuring out mm. how would you pitch an investor to get this deal done. And these virtual internships lead to real internships, lead to real jobs, lead to it's getting people in the flow of what you need to do to get into real estate ownership and ultimately own real estate. And if you don't get people in, into that flow, it, it's not, you're not going to make progress. And I think what he's tapped into, and it's a real groundswell, I think people are jumping all over it, um, is it's tapping into all the well-intended people like me who didn't know, there's no movement to go, you know, hire people, train people in the same way. Like I'm a small company. I don't have the infrastructure to train someone who has no background in, in the business and to get people in the flow yeah. of it. And, and um, so I got, you know, nine other guys and we're going to each contribute uh, enough money to get this launched in, in Phoenix for the first year. And I think by the second half of that first year, there's going to be people jumping over themselves to be a part of it. Cause I think there's a lot of people who want to help. Um, but it, it's much better to be some part of some sort of movement and initiative that, that has some real. How need, do you find students? To, Where do your students come from? So um, ASU, um, I'm, I'm very friendly with the gentleman who runs the real estate program at ASU and they have like 400 students in their program. And I've actually guest lectured on zoom and in person to some of these classes and ASU um, is somewhat ahead of the curve. And they've started with all one of the positive benefits or silver linings of what's come out of COVID is that it, it sort of accelerated things like you could, you could take a class anywhere, right? Like there was, that was happening a little bit, but now it's happening a lot. So ASU proactively uh, sought out Grambling State University in Louisiana wow. to have sort of a collaboration where Grambling State students could take um, could take real estate classes at ASU. So we actually had a call last week with the president of Grambling, the head of the real estate program at ASU, Cedric, and a couple of people on his team, and me. I'm like a fly on the wall, and um, it's just you can just you can feel that there's a movement that's happening, and I think that there's going to be more people of color in the industry. And I think people want that. I mean, I mean there's obviously some people who may not, but that's their problem. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I think people recognize that different perspectives at the table yield better results. And I'll share with Gary, your uh, relationship with uh, the dean of the business school at Howard. Howard. Yeah. Which could also be. Uh, a I'm sure I wouldn't be surprised if Cedric's already in in, in touch with him. But so what's the name of the program? Then? It's called Project Destined. Okay. Yeah, and it's um, awesome. Yeah, I'm just happy to sort of be a part of the ride of this, and 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 I think it's being on the right side of history for this kind of stuff, and 
Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on with like the tax law proposals right now mm-hmm. that are punitive to certain ways of making money. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences if they were to go down the way they're proposed. And I feel like what, what Project Destin is doing is less about knocking down the money and it's more about making more people have access to making that money and creating wealth. Like destroying wealth isn't the answer. It's how do people who aren't in the chain of creating wealth get access to the opportunities. And that gets back to my thing about educational access and mentorship. So Project Destined is, is, is all about that mentorship and, and, and opportunity access as well. I mean, I think if you come from a place of privilege, which I certainly, you know, come from, I, in a family that um, we had, we had money and 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 I had access to education. It was never a challenge for me. I feel like it's as a citizen of this country I've come to. I mean, I'm an immigrant as well. I mean, just could drive down, but it's still yeah. And 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 but I'm, I'm I feel like I'm in tune with the the sort of idealistic virtues of the country. And and I think those are great. I think it's incumbent upon us to make the gap between the reality and the ideals shrink. And so I'm, you know, just trying to play my small role. When I when I got my uh, when I went to the Sandra Day O'Connor courthouse thing sworn in as a as an American, the guy sitting next to me is like, Where are you from? <laughs> you look like you're from here. I'm like, Well, you look like you're from here. Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. I mean, I think part of what, you know, we're all trying to be co-creators, right, of how do we rewrite the current scenario in a way where, you know, that access point is really critical. You know, and the more we can do it for me, it's about education, right? I think that education is a pathway to great opportunity um, and that if we can have more points of entry for people to get a quality education, young kids to sort of grow up in that environment and learn whatever it is that they want to learn relative to a skill or relative to a profession. Um, It just gives us all an ability to like rise, you know, like into wherever you want to go, right? The opportunities in life. If, if if we create the access, the young people will find a way to get there. They'll find a way to succeed and excel. Really believe that. I'm going to put both you guys on the spot. I'm going to digress. We only have a few minutes left. Best female comedian ever. Best female comedian. Uh, there's a bunch of really good ones. I mean, Tina Fey is not a stand-up comedian, but she is a comedic genius. She is. She's an un- and I she told is. you I gravitate more to the writing. She's yeah. an unbelievable comedic writer. She is. Um, for a time. I thought Sarah Silverman was funny. She was funny, She's very, very witty. Funny. Yeah, but she she didn't Jean have Garofalo. Mm. Not really, huh? I thought she was funny. I thought she was okay. Um, Amy Schumer's very funny. She's very funny. Yeah, but she doesn't have a lot of. She doesn't have the breadth. Like the it's really a lot not. of the same range. Yeah. Like it's a lot of the same stuff. Um, but there, there's a there's a lot. I mean, I think I think that the the. What's, ha- what's happened that's good in comedy in the last 15 years is that whole, like, the, the, there's funny women out there who are oh, really I, good I, comedians. Absolutely. And I think they've debunked whatever 
false narrative there was on that. Absolutely. There's some really. Oh, you know, and the other one who's a comedic genius, but she's not a stand up is, is, um, Kristen Wiig on Saturday Night Live. She, she was a genius. Is she the one who plays, um, Who's the one who plays? She got a couple uh, more independent yeah. films out there. Yeah, look pretty good too. Who's the one who plays Rudy Giuliani on uh, Saturday Night? Oh, Club? she's great too. She's um, really Kate McKinnon. She's really funny. Yeah, no, she's she's great. Who is the Italian brunette who's on the roasts often? She was on the Justin Bieber roast. She was a, something Manel. Something. Yes, uh, she's uh, hilarious. Yeah. She, you know who I'm talking about, right? My, my wife, by the way, my wife got me a cameo for my 50th birthday from Jeff Ross. You know the cameos yeah, where you can are you buy the, Yeah, so I got a Jeff Ross roasting me for like a minute and a half on a cameo. You know who Jeff oh, Ross is? No that dude yeah. is. He's great. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mess with him. He, he's hilarious. I mean, he's when a I, killer. I saw him here with a buddy of mine, he's and and they killer. had a, you could go meet him afterwards. And I went up to him. Yeah. I said, you know, you're the best in the world at something. And he looked at me. He's like, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's a killer. One of the things we like to do is uh, we also like to just have you, you know, if there's a question or two that you want to ask us before we wrap up. What I miss. What what uh, what do you get out of or what kind of stuff do you get out of people on this uh, podcast that we haven't, what's t- the main territory we haven't covered? You know, I'll let DJ give his take. For me, it's really, you know, we just go places that you're not sure where you're going to end up. And we let the conversation drive that, right? Um, You know, a lot of times we know, at least one of us knows a fair amount about the person we're spending time with. And so we know areas to sort of press on and to sort of direct certain types of conversation. Um, But I think other times it's just like wherever it goes and whatever we hear and it it sparks an interest and we just sort of explore it. I mean, we've gone down roads where we never would have expected just because of something that someone shared in their experience of growing up or their background, the work that they do. And, um, you know, it's just finding those curious points where we just say, hey, wow, that's interesting. Let's talk about that more. Cool. I agree. And I'm enamored with human behavior. I always have been. And I think part of our job is to create a platform for our guests to be 100% liberated and to pull out things that they might think aren't important that are extremely important to us and the audience. And even today to know you've accomplished so much from a business perspective, two things. One, you stated this point of vulnerability is probably going to change your life on the, on the airplane. Now you got this in your head. And two, this whole thing about stand-up being a stand-up comedian. Like, I'm, I'm honestly, I think that's really intriguing. I don't know if I'd give myself that title. <laughs> I'm someone who's I'm someone who's tried it. Were you on stage? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So if you were in a professional baseball game, are you a professional baseball player? Say you never played again. Yeah, you're a stand-up comedian. So so I did a bunch of open mics. And you don't get, you don't, you know, there's no money involved. You just go and you do a mic. And then the guy at the club said, do you want to be one of the opening acts on whatever date? 
And I said, yeah, that'd be fine. He goes, it's 25 bucks. I'm like, oh, that's not that expensive. So I go and I perform. And at the end of the show, I did two routines. At the end of the show, he gives me 25 bucks. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm getting paid? Now it's not worth it. Like, all that time I spent, I only get 25 bucks? It would have been better for me to pay him for the access instead of getting 25 bucks. kind of like having a penny a minute. You just got a paycheck. You're no longer amateur. You're a professional now. You can't go back. I made $25. I didn't declare it. Uh-oh. So, yeah, so for me, that, that's it. I, you know, I think uh, I, I'm enamored with human behavior, man. I really am. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll be real with you. Um, as, as a black man, a uh, black person, oftentimes we live our lives having to be overly considerate around what white people think. I've moved out of that zone. I, I'm, I'm out. Never to go back in. It doesn't mean I'm not conscious or respectful, but that's not the lens that I operate through, right? You're, I, out, you're out of the matrix. I'm, I'm out, man. I mean, and I, I feel good and I'm happy about it. So I love to engage through that lens. And this is a forum that allows us to do that, right? I'm not thinking about all the things I should and shouldn't say. I've done all that training and I'm, I'm cool with where I am as far as that goes. So I think it allows us to pull things out of people that typically might might not come out. There aren't these guardrails that we're trying to operate. With, well, right? as long as, as I think we as a society need to get better if we're going to have these open dialogues 100%. of not punishing people yeah. when they express their vulnerabilities or they make their mistakes. Like we're sort of in this like mistake free zone now. Um where you're, you know, and not everyone, I mean, there's some bad actors out there and there's people doing, you know, universally bad things, but there's a lot of people who get themselves in trouble that d- didn't, didn't mean to. And I think we got to be careful if we want to engage. And that is why we, we think this is a, uh, it's important dialogue, right? And, and, and DJ and I, you know, in the very beginning of, putting this whole thing together we wanted to be in a place where we could just have conversation unfiltered share what's on our minds on our hearts so that the people that we're spending time with do the same and i think it creates a level of authenticity that people appreciate i think we should consider opening a comedy club (laughs) it's serious man i haven't found good comedy here is it it exist well it's not the club it's 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 you know it's interesting one of the things I learned with comedy is like if you produce a good song, you can play it for the rest of your life. Elton yeah. John still singing songs you wrote in 1970. Yeah. You do a joke once everyone's heard it, you got to come up with a new one. You do. And the talent to continue to generate good humor is very, very limited. Absolutely. There's a handful or two handfuls of people in the English speaking world who can year in and year out come up with new material. Absolutely. So I just think that it's, it's, not in the realm of possibility to get in in a low like there's one or two clubs here that can afford to have the talent come through but you're not going to get you know it's like how many major league baseball quality baseball players do we bring out of phoenix we can't expect to have that for comedy and there's fewer amazing comedians than there are baseball players it's a rare talent i think you're you're very liberated and that allows you to be funny I think to the extent that we can bring that out in people, you're, you're a funny guy, Charles. I don't think a lot of people know that. Well, thank you, DJ. 
But when you when you walked in, the, my first thought wasn't this guy's freaking hilarious. It took me about sixty seconds. I'm like, okay, this dude's hilarious, right? And I, I, I was that was maybe unintended. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if you were trying to be, but yeah, you were. So anyway, man, it's been awesome meeting Thank you, man. you. I mean, we, nice we should to meet do you this too. again. And uh, we'll get out on the course. Yeah, yeah, get out on the course. With, you know, you can watch my uninhibited golf sure. game. We'll have to start that conversation. <laughs> No, we'll have to make that happen. We'll, we'll definitely get out and make it happen. But. Well, Gary, we appreciate it. Yeah, man. Appreciate Good luck you tomorrow. Guys. Thank Can't you. Can't wait to hear your speech. And uh, thank you for joining us on The Conscious Vibe. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us. And check us out on tcvpodcast.com. <laughs>